tonight is a, uh, tonight's a really big night for uh, us as a church, and I pray that you'll see that as the night goes on. Uh, I want to begin here. Even since I was a kid, uh, a lot has changed. I know for those of you that we classify here as seasoned, maybe you've had a chance to see that a little bit more, but since I was a kid, a lot has changed. And one of the things that has changed the most is maybe best emulated by uh, this picture here. Uh, this is taken from outer space, okay? This is Google Maps, right? Is it like unbelievable? Outer space took this picture, you know? It's like some satellite next to Mars or something like snapped a picture of our building right here. Uh, and, and what's really funny is we had a, a, a very awesome couple, dear friend uh, of ours here, that um, they had gotten new vehicles and they, uh, they needed to uh, leave their vehicle somewhere. And so they left them here for a couple weeks. And it just so happened that Google Maps took a picture while their vehicles were parked down at the end of the lot. I just thought that was pretty funny. Um, so uh, Google, Google Maps, listen, have absolutely changed our life. Um, and the biggest difference is if you ever talk to someone who's, let's say, 50, 55 plus, And they're uh, trying to describe to you uh, how to get somewhere. They start to give you directions. Have you had this experience before? Um, you know, whatever that I'm, uh, uh, t- times, let's say I'm, I'm buying some random object off Craigslist from someone that's, you know, 55 plus, and, uh, and they're like, okay, so here's how you get to my house, right? And you're going to, so first you're going to get on uh, Interstate uh, 70, and, and I'm like, oh, okay, hey, uh, all I need is your address, because the reality is I'm going to head in the, the, like, the right direction, and about five minutes before I get to your house, I'm going to pull up my phone, Right? While I'm driving, and while I'm driving, I'm going to type in the address. I'm just kidding, Oprah, all right? Like I, and, and then I'm going to type in the address, and it will pop up, right? Well, Google Maps is brilliant because it shows us, next slide, uh, it shows us the, the, like, the exact location that we're at. Now, um, how many of you guys are from Newtown? Any of you guys from Newtown here, okay? If you're from Newtown, just stand up here really quick. We, just, we want to see you guys, all right? Okay, so let's say, let's say right now, Let's say right now, thank you. Some of you guys are ashamed of this. There's nothing, nothing, nothing to be ashamed of, all right? I know we saw you in Truman Show, but it's okay. Like, um, now, um, if all of my Newtown friends were like, hey, Mark, so uh, tonight after uh, church uh, and we gather, uh, everyone's welcome to come to my house, okay? And uh, that would be really nice of all of you guys. And, and then we were to say, okay, uh, so, so how do we get there? Well, we would pull up Google Maps and here's what Google Maps would show us on how to get to Newtown, right? So in the blue is the, the route that's, that's going to take the least amount of time and that Google has prescribed and all of Google somehow wisdom. Like how does a, a mainframe just become so smart? I'm not sure. But then you'll also notice there are two gray, let's call them scenic routes, right? Now, the route that takes you through uh, Earth City, you'll see there takes 31 minutes to get to Newtown, right? And the, the, the route in the blue only takes 12 minutes, and then the gray, uh, when I clicked on it, takes about 15 or 16. Now, who in their right mind is going to say, you know what, the Earth City route, right? There's so much beautiful things in Earth City. Um, <laughs> hence the name, right? Like, there we see the Earth in that city, and so we shall travel, you know, on horse and buggy across, right? No, like 
every single one of us right here, we'd be pulling up our phones and say, how can we get uh, to Newtown the quickest? Our addiction to the fastest route is seen in situations like this, which I'm sure you can relate. Uh, my wife and I um, always argue about which way is quickest to our home uh, by taking 370 or getting off at First Capital. Well, one night we were following each other in each other's cars, and we pulled up next to each other on the road right at the uh, break of 370, off 270, and we just kind of gave each other that look like it's go time. Like right now, right now, right now we're going to figure this out, you know? And listen, I'd like to say that the speed limit uh, has that I follow that all the time, uh, and just in a moment of vulnerability, like I see her break off 370, and I'm like looking in my rear view, and I'm just rolling, right? Because I'm like, I will show you, wife, right now that First Capital is clearly the quickest way to our house. Because every, inevitably, every time we're coming home from a trip, Heidi's always like, uh, are you going to take 370? No, I'm not going to take 370. I know it's the new road, but I like the old school. I want to go across this bridge, you know. We're obsessed with the, with the least amount of time to travel. All of us are. Uh, <laughs> barely, barely. I hit all the lights. I was dodging small children. I didn't want to kill the dog. <laughs> Did my wife pay you to, for that? Um, <laughs> Now, is it possible, is it possible that um, by being obsessed with the quickest route that um, we feed into this mentality that that route is always the best route? Um, Is it possible that we're so obsessed with the infrastructure of scheduling and efficiency that in that obsession, we're missing out on true beauty. Well, God is moving about 1.5 million people by foot, okay? And he's moving them to a land, a land that he's promised way back to Father Abraham. And so the question that you and I tonight get to see is, is what will God do? What direction, what path? And listen, I'm so excited about tonight because we've been studying massive chunks of text at a time for several weeks. Tonight, six verses, and I cannot wait, okay? And some of you are instantly excited because you're like, maybe we'll be out before nine tonight. Um, Probably not, okay? Um, Six verses, unbelievable to see what God does with these people. And I think tonight, a very specific message for every single one of us, particularly here in this body. So let's pray. And we're going to go for it. God, thank you again for your scripture. And I ask, God, that as we open it now and as we see it, that you would awaken our hearts to the reality of who you are. God, come and meet us powerfully right now in these moments. In your great and holy name, amen. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. Studying tonight, verse 17 through 22. Trying to do the best I can every week to refresh us, just in case you've been... Uh, gone or tonight's your first time here. Massive, powerful work of God has been seen. His people, which he has really by term just claimed, the Israelites, had spent 430 years in slavery in Egypt. And finally, uh, after 10 plagues, uh, they're released from that bondage. 
Last week we began to see their journey and some of the instructions that the Israelites were to adhere to. And tonight we see more details on this crazy journey. 1.5 million people, women, children, herds, cattle, all kinds of uh, stuff as well, beginning in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, which is already interesting to me, right? Like, like when Pharaoh let the people go. Um, as if Pharaoh had, you know, some sort of semblance of control of these people. It's perceived, yes, but the writer, when Pharaoh let the people go, look at this. God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Uh, now, Philistines, if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, uh, they're a very famous people. We see them come to play in David's time. And about 200 years after this point in history, their army becomes massive, so much so that they actually challenge Egypt uh, in war. They become uh, brilliant at uh, warfare. And what God decides to do, cue the map, is uh, take them on a little bit of a different path. Now, if you'll see here, I highlighted it with a big red box. Um, That's the the way of the Philistines. So if God was to take his people from the land of Goshen, top left corner, to Canaan, by the land of the Philistines, uh, they would take that route there right by the sea. Instead, highlighted in red, may be difficult to see, going all the way from the land of Goshen to the bottom of our screen and back up, that's actually the path that they take. So there's a lot of questions here, right? Like, God, are you directionally challenged? Like, God, I'm pretty sure you have a better satellite view than Google Maps. What are you doing, right? Well, in this case, the land of the Philistines was beginning to get infiltrated by particular kinds of warfare, so much so that they were at this point in cohesion with the Egyptians that there would be Philistine forts along this road from Canaan to Egypt. And the thought was for Egypt that these Philistines would warn any possible uh, war or anyone that was coming along the road. And so what the end of verse 17 says is, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So what God was worried about was that the people would get on this road, they would see the forts and the weaponry, and the power of the Philistines, and then they would choose that that war or that that fight or even the thought, it says, just seeing it was uh, worse than going back to Egypt. I liken it to, uh, have you ever come up on a traffic jam and there was an exit uh, right before, right? You like come over a hill and all you see is red lights and you like weave through like six lanes of traffic, right? Thinking that you can get off the exit and somehow like find a different route to get to your destination. I, like I liken it to that because they're not yet in the war. What God's saying here is when they see, lest the people change their minds, look, when they see war. So what God was worried about wasn't that they would go through the hardship and turn back to Egypt. At this point, what he's worried about is they would just see it. And the fear of visualizing it would be enough to change their direction and to take them back 
to Egypt. Maybe in the Israelite mind, they were thinking, well, well, maybe Egypt is different now because our God has conquered them. Our God has done all kinds of plagues. Maybe they'll fear us. Maybe because we're associated with God now, maybe they'll treat us better after 430 years of slavery. What I'm wondering is, when you begin to see hardship, the war, the battle, the difficulty come, not even in it yet, when you begin to see it, are you already like trying to bob and weave? Are you already in your plans trying to get creative, right? I mean, I've done that so many times, gotten off the exit, and then you get off, and then you get off the exit, and then you see the wreck that was only like half a mile above, and now you're like, you just added like 15 minutes to your travel, right? Has that ever happened to you? You get off the exit and you say, oh my goodness, like, you know, there wasn't even a big deal, I'll oh, forget it, right? And then there's a wreck on the side road. It's, it's classic, right? So have you experienced that? Just seeing the hardship, that's what God's worried about. That these people are literally going to choose to go back to Egypt. But verse 18 says, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Does that strike anyone as odd? God brings them by way of the wilderness. Uh, typically in my vocabulary, wilderness isn't associated with something that's awesome, okay? He's taking them by the way of the wilderness to the sea, right? And, and you'll, you'll understand, cue the map again, put this back up. Anytime you see water here, right, there's like, there's nowhere to go, right? So by the wilderness to the sea, this is like dead end after dead end through desert. God, what are you doing? God, why are you taking your people the long way around? And the people of Israel went up, Scripture says, out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Now, th- this really tripped me up. Equipped for battle. I was like, hold on a second, hold on a second. These people are equipped for battle? Uh, like, were they being trained as soldiers in Egypt? Certainly not. Certainly Pharaoh wasn't like, uh, so here's the deal. You guys are slaves. We're going to train you in jujitsu, Egyptian style, right? Because we're hoping one day you'll overthrow us, Right? So here's a machete. Here's how you use it against my soul. I'm like, no. Like, he's not training the slaves in modern warfare. So this really tripped me up. I had to go back to the, to the Hebrew of this word. The Hebrew word is hamash. Everyone say it with me. Come on. Hamash, right? Beautiful, beautiful. Now, what hamash means really isn't equipped in the way that we think about it. What hamash means is the mass. And more specifically, it's a term of 50 it's organized, okay? So when the scripture says they were equipped for battle, it's like they were numerous. They were at least organized. There was at least a lot of them. And we would all agree with that. 1.5 mil, it's a good amount of people, right? So they're equipped in the way that they're organized somehow, potentially structured underneath the elder system that we've already seen. Now, I'm sure you've heard the old adage, there's strength in numbers. But not always. I was sharing this with Lonnie, and he's like, yeah, there's strength in numbers unless you bring a knife to a gunfight. And he's a former police chief, so he would get it, you know. Like, if you, if you bring a knife to a gunfight, no bueno, right? Um, so there are certain situations where there's strength in numbers, but there's other situations where that's not the case. Now, the reason why I said this is a big night for us is because uh, I really feel like this text is directed right at us tonight. When I say at us, I mean Matthias' lot church. 
And if you're here from another community, then uh, you fill in the blank. There should be strength in numbers. Right? We'd all say, um, the work that can be done through the 450 people in this room right now. The potential of that. Unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, all of us owning our call as believers, if we're believers, owning our call, joining God and his work and his story, and together making, as it were, an army on mission together. And you're like, well, Mark, how does that look? Uh, Sometimes that would mean that we would serve together corporately. But quite honestly, uh, most times, it's you um, with your family being on mission. It's you knowing your neighbor's names. It's you understanding the elderly woman can't shovel her driveway. It's you in your workplace. It's you in the, the cubicle that you come to despise or potentially love. Either way, it's, it's you seeing that 8 to 5 or 9 to 5 as an opportunity to live out mission. You're, you're like, well, Mark, how is that together? The together is seen in this. Coming together around God's word to be trained to be missionaries, to be an army, to be Holy Spirit empowered, to then be sent out to be God's people in a, at times, what feels like a wilderness. So their strength should be in numbers because God's body, the church, even us specifically, Holy Spirit empowered, come here together to worship him, to be, uh, to, to be reminded of the gospel, to glorify God, and then to be sent out, not to be complacent, but to further own the call that God has on us. And listen, when you at the park begin to engage the person that you're spinning on the, what do they call that thing, the spinny thing that made me throw up as a kid? Yeah, that thing, Okay. When you begin to engage the parent that's right there or the friend that's right there, and then at the same time that that's happening, a dad is opening the Bible for his seven, four, and three-year-old, or the mom is pouring into the young woman that she's discipling, that is us being on mission together. That is strength in numbers. You guys understand? And yes... The beautiful times that we have to come together and to celebrate and to serve the city, one another, God, together, beautiful. We're reminded that we do it together, but most times it's happening while all of us are just living. There should be strength in numbers. There can be strength in numbers. But in this case, that's about all they got. They're not trained. They're literally out in the wilderness with no swords, no weaponry, and a whole lot of people. I'm telling you tonight, we have God's word and the spirit inside of us. We are well-equipped, not Hamash, but well-equipped with the armor of God, people, right? And that's weaponry, my friends, that cannot and will not be replaced by anything else. I feel like this text is for us. Shame on us. If we find ourselves in the wilderness looking around at one another and wondering why in the world, why in the world we're sitting out there together doing nothing. Yes, celebrating it seems, but 
being sent out just to go on with the grind. Let life live us instead of us living life. Um, so what I see in this body, uh, specifically us, is an unbelievably gifted church. Did you guys know, maybe you're not aware, there's like, by my count, 32 and a half men and women that could instantly get a church job somewhere, okay? The half is a baby in the womb that I'm sure God will raise up, you know? Um, there's so many strong leaders in this, um, in this congregation that right now could get on churchjobs.com or whatever the newest website and get a youth ministry job. And, and, and those, those men and women are leading law families here. You're getting to journey with people who very well could find themselves in vocational ministry, but by God's call have said, you know what? This is where I'm called to be. I'm going to forego a paycheck in ministry to journey with this body. But it's not just those. I look at our list of covenant members often and just think, there is not one person on this entire list that I do not love to journey with. There's not one person where I'm like, ah, I don't know about that person, you know. That person, I, you know, they seem a little, there's not one of those. We are so blessed and gifted. God has been gracious to us, amen. Uh, Pastor Jeff, one more thought on this. Was sharing with me before tonight that he, uh, he drove around St. Charles earlier. And when he was driving around St. Charles, he uh, stopped by all of our locations. We started out at St. Charles High School, okay, um, with like 20 people and my mom, all right, um, which I was counting her as like 10 in those days. I mean, it was just, just a bump attendance somehow. Um, then we moved to Hardin Middle School. Jeff was just describing like this journey of going to all these places. And then we moved to Ridgecrest, the old Ridgecrest Baptist Church, okay, and then to Main Street, which some of you guys were at and, and now here. And and these are all just locations. They're just brick and mortar. But what they represent is the seasons of life in our church. And I stand before you now and again say, God has been gracious, hasn't he? What a blessing. What a blessing to have this community. And I feel like sometimes because we're in it, we always think the grass is always greener. But I just want to pause and sit back and say, God, thank you so much for what you've done. Because some days it seems like, let's just go back to Egypt, whatever that is for you. But man, what a blessing, even at times, to be in the wilderness with a group of people that we love together. Now, um, a really strange occurrence in this road trip. Verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. This would be like the equivalent of, of you saying, hey, grab grandma's ashes, we're going to Disney. You know, like... like Right? I mean, it's, you know, you're like carrying on. It's a small world after all, you know. What's that? It's grandma. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? So they're leaving Egypt, and what does Moses do? Hey, make sure, make sure we have the bones of Joseph. And just so we understand here, the bones of Joseph, it's, it's not like, um, you know, like maybe you're picturing like a dog bone, or, you know, or, or there's some like satchel listed Joseph on it, you know, and you pick it up and you can hear the rattles, okay? No, 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 listen, listen. This is hardcore. This is like a mummy-ized, is that a word? Mummied, 
mummified. This is a mummified, right? Is that, is that right? It's a mummy, okay? It's a mummy. Let's go with that. Singular. He's like a mummy, right? So if you were to de-mummifies it, all right, have you guys ever seen these? Like, there would still be parchments of skin. Uh, you remember that Joseph arrived in Egypt and died in Egypt when the Israelites were only 70, and now they've multiplied to 1.5 million. So Joseph is clearly, clearly, in this case, a massive figure. Well, I want to show you specifically where this comes from. Uh, this is from Genesis chapter 50. And Joseph said to his brothers, here we go, Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Oh, Joseph, right? What a beautiful moment. Had a great coat, but he also had some prophecy up in him. Verse 25, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and look at this, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Listen, how is it? How is it that some 430 years later, what Joseph said gets passed down and certainly God in his revelation like, reminds Moses, uh, hey, we can't forget the bones of Joseph, right? So Moses like calls up one of his interns or something, you know? And, and he's like, hey, dude, uh, please go get the bones of Joseph. I know it seems like a funny moment, but just understand the symbolic nature of it. This is Moses and the nation of Israel's way, listen, of celebrating legacy. Of taking a minute just to sit back and say, we came from somewhere. We came from a man that though his brothers sold him for dead, uh, he forgave them. We come from that lineage and the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's where we come from. What a beautiful moment. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel, middle, middle verse 19, solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. <laughs> verse 20. And they moved on from Succoth and, and encamped at Etham. And what, is the, what does the scripture say there? On the what? on the edge of the wilderness. So this is the point that 1.5 million people begin to ask the question, are you sure about this? They come to the edge of the wilderness, so they're looking out. And what they've been hearing is a land that flows with milk and what? Milk and honey, Winnie the Pooh's greatest dream, right? That's what they've been hearing about. And they come to the wilderness, mind you, potentially knowing their geography, knowing the sea is soon to come. Just put yourself in those shoes, sandals, right? What would you be saying? Are, are, are we sure about this? We don't have record of this at this point. We'll certainly see it soon. Listen, um, I don't know about you all, but this doesn't, I don't see no honey, right? Um, there doesn't seem like, Milk or water? Um, are, are you sure about this? What my scripture reads back in uh, verse 17 is God did not lead them by way that was near. In other words, God is in the leading role here. I am so grateful that though we can spend our lives asking, are you sure, God? Are you sure about this? Are, have you... 
that we as followers of Christ, listen, can be released from that question altogether. We can be. It's a whole nother thing if that's what you're experiencing in your life. Think about being completely released from the question, are you sure? To fully believing God's leading. So no matter what I see on the expanse, no matter if I see trial ahead, no matter if I don't see this beautiful future that I thought I had scripted perfectly for myself, I am completely released from the question, are you sure? And I get to, I get to answer over and over and over from his word and the confirmation of the spirit that God is sure. He's never not sure of himself and his direction. Did you know that about our God? There's this, uh, this old hymn that's called Blessed Assurance, and certainly it's talking about the assurance that we have in our salvation. But my friends, salvation is just one piece of our assurance in him. There is never one piece of him that is not assured. So if God is leading it, if he is behind it, As Jesus told the disciples, look, if I'm for you, who can be against you? That's the point to all this. We as believers can be released. And let's just go ahead and agree, much easier said than done. Not only do you see the trial coming and then you get amidst it, and how many of us have asked, not just by the day, but by the hour, God, are you sure? God, is this from you? I'm not sure. What's what's happening here? God, are, are you... Is this really going to do something? God, like this is wilderness, God. This is, there's no milk and honey out here. There, there's no flourishing, God. There, there's, no, like, there's nothing here, God. And yet all the while, God is up to something. In this case, it's protecting 1.5 million people from certain death or at least the fear of death that would take them back to slavery. God's up to something. Doesn't make sense at all. No, every single one of us would be like, listen, take the, take the blue route, right? The gray route, that seems stupid, you know? But the blue route, that, that'll get us there the fastest. And, and maybe often with the most pain. Look at this, verse 21 is insane. And the Lord went before them. Anyone else right now just encourage? The Lord went before them. Listen, we don't have a God that's like, uh, like hiding behind the corner. Hey, you guys go ahead. I hope those Philistines or whoever's going to, I hope they're not too, t- you know, and you got all kind of come in later. We don't have a leader that's leading from the back. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And look at this. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. And I love this end, that they might travel by day and by night. This is a hardcore road trip. Does anyone see anything about rest in verse 21? Gas station stops, overnight hotel stays. Does anyone see, right? They're going to set up camp soon, and we'll see that. But does this imply that? No, like God's providing, and what I don't see here is, 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 is stops. Now, in my mind, I can picture 1.5 million people kind of moving along, right? And you, you picture the kids playing. Right, and you picture, you know, mom saying, "Hey, come on, you know, let's let's keep let's keep trucking along here," and and you picture dad checking his celly, you know, always walking and running into the, you know, the cow in front of him. Right? We can picture a nation walking, proceeding, moving, but literally, this implies no rest by day, by night. Now, um, 
the image that I have in my mind of this pillar of smoke by day, cloud by day, and fire by night is this, it has to be this massive symbol, this massive presence of God. Um, I, I have to think that we don't have confirmation in the scripture that everyone can see this. And again, I tried to do as much math as I could. I just couldn't figure out exactly how narrow this path was, though it certainly was through some treacherous terrain. You know, if 1.5 million people starts over here, like we can all agree, like that's going gonna, gonna to go pretty far back, right? Uh, this isn't like a couple hundred yards worth of people. So if the person in the front could see it, and if the person in the back could see it, there's a whole lot of, there's a massive pillar, right? So by day, if we're in the wilderness and, and desert-like conditions, certainly hot, this pillar of cloud is a really peace-giving image, isn't it? Though I can't say this confirmed by Scripture, it's possible that it was a, an image of like providing some shade, right? Think of how precious shade is in 90, on a 90-degree St. Louis day with 350,000% humidity, you know what I mean? Like, we'll, like, search near and far for just a, a bit of shade. So imagine, like, you know, that many people traveling and God potentially providing in his peace. And then at night, I don't know if you've ever been to the desert at night. It's generally, like, you know, it's, it's a little bit chilly. So imagine just this massive campfire, as it were, you know. And uh, I don't think there's any kumbaya singing, but, but certainly, like, a, a great directional piece of even the person in the back, I presume, could see God leading. Before we um, look at this last verse, I want to make sure every single person understands this point right here. God is leading them. He hasn't left them for dead. He's not leading them astray, though they may start believing that. God is looking out for them. He cares for them. They're his people. And then here's what we see in verse 22. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. What does the scripture say? Did not depart from before the people. God doesn't fake them out. He doesn't, listen, please hear this. Please hear this. He doesn't give them hope and then pull the rug out. He doesn't give them a cloud and doesn't give them a pillar of fire just for a little bit to tease them. I know maybe some of you have felt or sensed that God is in the teasing business, dangling like carrots of hope in front of you, but let me just make sure we're all together in this. God is ever hopeful and ever providing hope. That's what he does. We are in Christ and through the Spirit, have the ability to always be hopeful because he doesn't dangle it out like a carrot in front of a rabbit. It's always there. He is always there. He doesn't tease us and then pull the rug out. Hope is always there. God is always leading. And the people at this point, they have to be encouraged by this. So um, we have a lot more work to do. But first, I want to ask you guys this question. Are you okay 
with God leading you the long way around? Or do you want to go back to Egypt? You pick. Many of you guys know the story of planting Matthias. Um, Long story, long. Um, My wife was uh, completely against it initially. Uh, Hated the idea, actually. You guys know I'm crazy out there, very minimally practical. And, um, you know, I, I live on a roller coaster for the good. I mean, I just, you know, that's who I am. Um, my wife, on the other hand, X's and O's make sense. A plus B generally equals C. I didn't even know there was a C. I mean, I, that's, that's my, you know. So we, we're just different people. So I come home to her uh, in 2004 one day and I say, honey, um, God's called us to plant a church. And uh, she said, no, he has not, right? <laughs> no, no, I... <laughs> I think he actually has, honey. No, he has not, you know. So you're kind of like, what do you do at that point, you know? It's like, the, you know, so, all right, let's get on the, let's get on 270. We'll see who, who wins home and then <laughs> winner gets to plant, you know. Um, what happened at that point is God uh, took us the very long way around. And uh, see, to me, what would have been best is at 24 years old, with the minimal training, minimal praying, minimal understanding, and a whole bunch of naivety, that uh, we would have just charged hell. We would have just went for it. You know, hell's in front of us. We got water pistols. We're ready to go. You know, we're locked and loaded. Um, you guys know now. I mean, imagine me at 24. Okay. Uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, literally, listen, literally almost a year of every day battling in my heart. Patience is not a virtue of mine. It's one that I struggle with in, in, in all seriousness. And then one day, uh, many of you guys know the story. We have been trying to have a family, and, and um, I realized that what I was communicating to my wife, that, that God, we needed to hold off just in case how do your heart changes, and we do plant a church, money's going to be tight, so let's not have children because money's going to be tight and let's save up for the church plant. What I was communicating to my wife was God will provide for a church plant, not for our family. So one day I came home and in a moment of final brokenness, I was like, honey, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. Let's just both surrender our lives to whatever God wants to do. And if he wants us to start a family, then he'll, he'll provide. And if he wants us to plant a church, he'll provide. And she looked at me literally in that moment and said, let's plant a church. And many of you men are like, brilliant strategy, okay? <laughs> right? Like, if I can just, you're like taking notes right now, you know? But listen, it, was, it wasn't that at all. Listen, it was God caring for my wife, for myself, for our future children, and quite honestly, for all of us, by taking us the long way around. The key right now is identifying where in your life can be described as the long way. Just out of curiosity, I tried my best to do a quick survey of Scripture. Certainly some of these are just catalog stories and other pieces, ones that I looked at specifically. What I see with certain exceptions 
is a general precedent in the scripture of God doing the unexpected and taking routes that do not make coherent human sense. We study this in Acts. Do you remember the shipwreck of Paul? Like the whole journey made no sense. And where do they end Malta when the winds should have pushed them up land? They end at this random island. Makes no sense. Like no one would say, oh yeah, you know, A plus shipwreck equals Malta. No one. How about the example of his own son? Born where? Come on, born where? This is like classic Sunday school stuff. Come on. Born where? Right? In a, in a trough, in a manger. Look at what God is in the precedent of doing. He's in the precedent of going the long way around to show that it's him who's guiding it. Now, what does that show about our hearts? We love the short way, the efficient way, because then we get to celebrate when we arrive there. We rest in our giftedness, in our wisdom, in our ability to find and follow directions. Then we're able to celebrate our successes. Look at what I did in such a short amount of time. That's what we celebrate in America, right? Give me more now. And what God is saying is if you want more now, you will die. You will meet up against the armies of the Philistines. They will either kill you or you will go back to slavery in Egypt. And then the other side of it is, well, okay, so you're going to bring us through the wilderness to a sea. And God is saying, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you through the wilderness to the sea and then watch me now. I'm going to continue to guide. I will not leave you hopeless. I will continue to love. I, cont- I will continue to care for you, even, my friends, if it's tough. And that's where you and I struggle. God takes us the long way around. Things begin to get tough, and we don't realize that he's trying to teach us reliance on him. And so we get reliant on ourselves. We turn back, and we go back to Egypt. It's better there. And what God is saying is, It will never be better there. Even in your pain, if you find yourself resting in me more, that is the beautiful place. The place of trust, the place of you can't do it on your own, the place that you are God, that is the beautiful place. So listen, my friends, right now for all of you. Can you identify things right now? I'm not talking about past or future that you can't predict. I'm talking about right now. Are you recognizing things in your life that God is taking the long way around and you are not recognizing it? You're not appreciating it? In fact, you've already turned back and headed to Egypt. Though your dad would have never done it. Stop and ask for directions, right? Maybe for some of you tonight, it's time to turn back around to the long way. How about for us as a church? Can I share? Is that cool? Are we okay with the long way around, Matthias? Well, Mark, what do you mean? 
Uh, listen, we're in a culture of instant gratification. We want to see St. Charles, everybody, everybody saved right now. And when they don't, we get discouraged and we quit. I've told you guys over and over and over, I am the deepest depths of my heart. I desire to die in St. Charles. You don't got to bring my bones nowhere, okay? All right? I want to die here. Because I recognize, my friends, this is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And God has called this church to be in this city and you in your workplaces and you in your neighborhoods and you in your homes so that together we can be an army the long way around. It's not instant gratification. And yes, my friends, sometimes there will be the bountiful fruit that we will all very visibly see. And I'm not talking about numerical growth. I'm talking about salvation. There will be seasons where we're baptizing people left and right. And there will be other seasons, prayerfully not, but there will probably be other seasons that will again bring us to our knee and cause us to plead for more salvation again. There will be times when we get discouraged with our vision through We Love St. Charles or our heart to love people in this city. There will be times where we're wondering what's happening or what's going on. My friends, listen. Loving people and loving God in general is the long way around. It's not easy. It doesn't bring instant gratification outside of how God seals us in his spirit and calls us his sons and daughters. Are we as a church okay with the long way around? There will be hardship for this church. We will be tested. Maybe we are being tested now. Matthias, are we okay with that? Will it bring us to our knees in prayer? Will it cause us to remember that we're not alone? Or will we close the blinds, go rogue, point fingers, complain at what this isn't providing you? Those are all of our temptations. But our opportunity is to come together. Not just in numbers, but equipped for battle by the word of God, which is directing us. So I just want to ask you guys, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Do we come together? Do we together leave this and live on mission? Or do we all just want to go back to Egypt? Tonight we have to pick in our individual lives, as a church, as a family, all of you tonight have to choose. And what if, counter everything we know, the long way around was the most beautiful? Let's stand together, church. don't normally do this, but I want to now. Um, how many of you guys, um, with a hand raised, are really, really, really struggling 
in a situation you're journeying through right now and you find yourself asking a lot, God, are you sure? You find yourself just in your heart struggling with patience. You really tonight are just like, God, I do not want the long way around. How many of you guys just with a raise of hand tonight would say that to me? All right. Whole slew of us. So maybe if some of you guys are around, some of these folks that raise their hand, maybe just reach your hand out to them, maybe even put a hand on a shoulder. And I, I just want to pray for those people tonight. The God of great comfort can help you trust tonight. Uh, Father, for my friends, for my brothers and sisters, for those, God, just in deep amount of pain or wondering what you're doing or wondering what's next, God, tonight, will you give us courage to believe? God, help us discern what's your voice and what's the culture's, what's coming from your mouth and what's coming from the enemy. Help us discern what's truth and what's lie. God, help us know that if you're guiding us, you will guide us right where we need to go. Help us believe that tonight. And God, if we're following voices that are only lying, God, help us stop, turn, and follow your voice again. God, your voice is clear. It's as obvious as a pillar of fire. Your word and your spirit, God, are resounding in our heart. So I pray tonight that the pillars that we have at our access, greater than that of the Israelites, would guide my brothers and sisters tonight and tomorrow. And that even if you take us the long way around, we'll bless your name.